Welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. This is a podcast run by artists for artists where we talk about what it means to be one. I'm Tun Miai, the producer with our host, Dina Brodsky and Marshall Jones. This is being recorded between our many jobs and side hustles. We bring you in-depth investigations into the lives of artists we admire and the stories behind the creative journey. So stay on the grind while we fill your mind. everyone. This is Dina Brodsky, and I'm here with Marshall Jones and Miguel Mayer, who is the founder and mastermind behind the Professional Artist Institute, which is a global organization that provides business education for visual artists, painters, sculptors, and fine art photographers. Miguel's background includes striking partnerships for Google Arts and Culture with National Museums, being the entrepreneur in residence for Google for Startups, and hosting the Global Fine Artists Summit. So besides all that, he's just a warm, smart, funny person who has given me really, really good advice on uh, the business side of my art career over the last bunch of years. So Miguel, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. In our pre-interview talk, Miguel was just talking about how he's avoided being on this podcast or any podcast for years now. So thank you for changing your mind. Thank you for for, for changing my mind. I am really excited about this. I think we're going to have a good time. So Miguel, uh, I think artists are incredibly curious and frequently frustrated with the business part of life because they want to be in the studio and instead they have to spend all this time making a living. What do you think are kind of the different categories that make the most sense and allow them to spend the most time in their studio? Sure. Okay. So actually they way overcomplicated and it's because of that creativity, right? As you say, they have so many ideas. And that's great when you're in the studio, but it can be counterproductive when you're just trying to get more work sold and trying to grow your art income. So if I were to simplify, number zero, like the ground level is art making, right? Like I'm not at this conversation about growing the business of your art makes sense unless you have a steady uh, practice that allows you to have output of new work on a, on a steady basis, right? Uh, for most people, that means some sort of art making, even if it's just a tiny amount of time uh, on a daily basis, but at least uh, on a weekly basis, you have to have that rhythm. Now, assuming that the art making piece is in a place, and that should be like your sacred time, right? Like this is the, of course, life happens, right? But most of the time, you're protecting that. What happens with the rest? You can put it into three buckets, which is basically... The bucket of the bucket of marketing, and this is that here goes another ugly word, right? And marketing is just letting people know that you have something that can make their life better. Right? And in the case of art, is about changing their emotions, right? They will experience your art and notice a shift. So that's the marketing piece, letting them know that you exist and that your art exists. The other piece is the sales, which is converting that interest. For example, if we're talking of an audience, whether it's Instagram or email or even a podcast, right? Like converting that interest into providing an invitation for people to own your work, to buy your work. This is where many artists get very shy because they don't want to pester. They don't want to be pushy, which is totally understandable. But it is a misconception that it has to be done way. You know, there are elegant ways to do this that actually makes people feel special that they're being provided the opportunity. For example, when someone gets invited into an art show, that has a very different feel to it but it's actually a conversion event of moving people forward from just knowing that you exist to potentially buying your work and the last piece is 
we can call it operations, but it's just basically the admin stuff, right? <laughs> like the, the the boring stuff that needs to get done, bills, et cetera. Um, maybe there is some social media and some email inbox, et cetera, processing there. And you want to find a very sustainable way to address that. And maybe you block out one day per week. That is your admin day. It has to get done, right? But Unless you have a good control of it, your brain is going to be bothering you throughout the day. And even when you're in the studio, because that part is not taken care of. So breaking it down basically into the three buckets of there is marketing, which is letting people know that your artwork exists. There is sales, which is providing opportunities for people to buy your work. And then there is the admin, which is what makes everything, uh, all the wheels turn together at the same time. It should be in those three buckets. Anything else is most likely a distraction. And something that makes you think you're making progress, but is actually not helping the business side of your art. That makes total sense. We started talking at the beginning about, you know, the the various buckets and which I totally agree with. I thought that was really insightful about, you know, you have your creativity and that's something very precious. And then there's this sustaining force, which is you know, if you sell a painting, you might be able to make another one and feed yourself and all that kind of thing. So what are some of the strategies that that people use successfully to to kind of keep going? Right, right. Great question. Let me try to break it down into um, just a couple of frameworks. And when I say a framework is just um, basically a way to and a way to hang your ideas and give it a little bit of structure and, and you know as, as, as artists uh structure and control are probably not your favorite words either um but <laughs> right. i'll give you a little a little story here i remember i had the opportunity to go to the burning man a, a couple of times burning man the, the festival out there in the desert and it, it's been it was one of the most creative times in, in my life and i remember it was like day three I literally would just close my eyes and I would see these amazing images and no, no drugs involved. Right? I hadn't even had any alcohol. And it's like, why is this going on? Why is my mind unleashed? And what I realized journaling after, after the, that Burning Man Festival is that they take care of the fundamentals, right? You're, I mean, if you join a camp there, you got your food, you got accommodation, you got water, go have fun, go live, right? And then that reptilian brain feels so safe that allows the rest of the brain to, you know, go wild with creativity. Wow. What I think has happened is in, in modern life, like living in the city is expensive. It's not easy, right? Like I, I think in, in past times, it, it wasn't as demanding to just make ends meet. So having a 20% of structure of control that allows the 80% of creativity is a very useful way for artists to say, okay, I don't want to be, if I go 99% creative, which is what some do, then things, bad things happen, right? Or then I go ultra conservative and I lose my spark and I go to a full-time job and, you know, in, in a way that kills my creativity. So that 80-20 is what I would recommend. I would look at your, the business side of your art or your sustenance, sustenance as a 20% of control. And that's what I filled in Burning Man. Burning Man was probably more like 5% 95, but just, just to serve as a metaphor. So with that being said, here is a couple of structures or frameworks that could be useful. One of them, we call it the art income tripod. And, and this is about having a foundation for your art income that is diversified. Because if you put all your eggs in one basket, we all know what we all know what happens, right? And the three main areas that we found are persistently most reliable are the following. 
And this is not going to sound new, but hopefully it's helpful to think of it as one, two, three. Number one is having some sort of recurring service. That means you're teaching, you're coaching, you're mentoring, you're sharing your art skills that you've probably invested decades to learn with other people that are just a few steps behind you, right? Because there's always someone that is a few, a couple of steps ahead of you and someone is a couple of steps behind. So everyone can teach to someone who is a couple of steps behind Someone who is 20 steps ahead, they may have forgotten how, how it feels to be just two steps behind, right? Mm-hmm. So the sharing of your skills, the reason this is important is because selling a service is much easier than selling a product. And if you think of this ugly business terms, a product being, for example, an artwork and a service being teaching, it's much easier to serve to sell teaching. So if we're trying to solve for uh, the making money part, try to see if there is a line of service they can provide. In my experience, about 50% of artists love teaching and 50% hate it. If you hate it, I recommend you don't do it. It's not going to be good for you, not good for your students. Uh, but maybe there is some sort of you know mentoring or, or coaching that you could give uh, where you're helping them out, right? So that's number one. How does that break out? It means if you have, uh, oh, by the way, like here, here's a little bit of a, of a tip, right? If you have a group of 10 to 15 students paying you 99 bucks per month, right? That's already your 1.5K per month. And I'm putting like a low pricing. We have artists that are charging way more than that, right? You could have all your needs covered just from your service. And that's an ideal scenario. But let's be conservative. One to 2K per month from your service, but do it in a smart way. Do it in a way where it just takes you one day per week, right? Because there's an alternative and nothing wrong with it, right? Like you can teach through institutions and that gives you a lot of security, et cetera. The problem we see with that is that it takes a lot of time and energy, right? Whereas when you do it and you cut the middle person and you go direct, it allows you to control your own time, which is what you really want, centralize it in a small group and and have a higher ticket uh, price point because people know that there are limited seats. Legitimately, there are limited seats, right? Because you cannot give your attention to to a thousand people. So that's leg number one of the art income tripod. Leg number two, direct sales. And this is, as we all know, something that was not a thing a decade ago, right? Or not much of a thing. And thanks to the internet, now you can grow your audience, whether that is Instagram, and then you move them into your email list, and then you nurture that email list and you provide opportunities to buy your work directly. We find this works better for uh, artworks in a lower price point, right? So anything from you know two fifty to a, under a thousand dollars is easier. It doesn't mean you can't sell for more. Again, I'm making generalizations just to make things simple, but it is easier to make a direct sales in the multiple hundreds, right? So the idea is that you want to have a few sales per month that come directly from your audience. That's your second leg, and no one can take it away from you if you have them in your email list. The algorithms change, but nothing wrong with the algorithms. You use that as the top of your funnel to then invite people to your private VIP list where you can nurture a longer term relationship and we find it converts better into sales. Leg number three, good old galleries, right? What is a gallery? It's just basically a partnership. It's someone that has a portfolio of clients and they're gonna sell on your behalf and they're gonna charge a fee. And yes, if they take 50%, that's okay because hopefully by now you realize that it's not so easy. There is a skill, right, to sell art. But what matters is, you want to have higher price point artworks so that it's still worth it for you. If it feels like it's not worth it for you, like if they sell your $3,000 artwork and you get $1,500 and you don't feel like you're being fairly compensated, then something is wrong with your pricing, right? Then maybe you should have a category of artwork 
that is 5K or 10K. And then they take the 5K, you get another 5K and you're a happy camper, right? So it has to feel that is fair compensation. Once you have those three legs, what you're seeing is one of them is more frequent and more recurrent, which gives you a baseline of uh, you know, psychological safety and, and that, that service, that mentoring, that teaching bonus tip. You want to have a wait list. You want to have people knocking on your door. They want to get in, but they didn't manage to. It's counterintuitive, but that's the ideal scenario because that's what's going to allow you to sleep at night knowing that you're not going to have to get another student next month and next month. Whenever someone leaves, you open the door to that one in the wait list, right? And you're always full. The second piece being your direct sales, and the, which is on a monthly basis, expecting a few small sales, some commissions. And then the, the third bucket being galleries for the higher ticket sales. So that will be your art income tripod that once installed, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket and you're diversifying the risk, you're diversifying the, the, the price points. And it allows you most importantly to do the artwork that, that you want to make. Because by centralizing your service in one day, you still have six days of the weeks. And by having both galleries that you're in line with and direct sales, you can focus on making art. Let me make a pause there before I go into the next framework. Any, any questions? Is this making sense? That that sounds so like practical and smart to me. And I wish I knew you 10 years ago. <laughs> I don't do any of it. <laughs> so by the way, so by the way, I I, I met Miguel like what four years ago, something like that. He told me some of these things. And it took me a year to do any of them. So it took me a long time to follow through on anything. Like it probably took me until kind of midway through lockdown to, to actually do some of the things he told me to do. It, it actually works. Like if it, it makes sense when Miguel says it, right? Uh, but then if you do it, you actually wind up like more solvent and you spend less time worrying about money and like more time painting them. I did. I do have a follow-up question though. So if you're working a gallery angle, which is basically what I do, and those prices are on the high end, you know, I mean, not high and high end, but like for what you were talking about, like the Instagram sales and stuff sounds like need to be under a thousand. Like, how do you, is it a question of using different sizes or maybe less complex imagery? What's that? How do you justify the different? How do you justify the different prices to? to, to yeah, uh, or because uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to run into thing where you're selling something on Instagram for five hundred bucks and in the gallery it goes for five thousand. Sure. Just it, sure. it seems like it'd be complicated. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit uh, about that about pricing. Um, uh, first of all, you want to have a great relationship with your gallery, right? So you don't want to do anything behind your back. That goes without saying. Um, what you want to do is to have. I mean, think of. Think of Damien Hirst, right? Whatever you think about his art, he's good at the business side, right? I think we can agree on that. Yeah. And if you look at the different things that you could buy from him, it could go all the way from millions of dollars for an artwork to uh, you know, maybe 150 for some sort of, I don't know, wristband or merchandise or something that has like Damien Hirst in it, right? The point being that they're different things it doesn't devalue him. Oh, you're selling your art for 150. Like, no, I'm selling also for 150 million or whatever, but this is you know, a bracelet or this is a t-shirt or whatever it may be. So you need to think of what are your categories. Now you don't want to go crazy and, and do a thousand like he might have. You just want to think of low, mid, high. Okay. So like what's your low ticket? What's your mid ticket? What's your high ticket? 
And then I would recommend you think of what is your anchor price? And this is something that is so expensive that it hurts your stomach a little bit when you write down the price. Uh, But here's the trick. You don't expect anyone to buy it and that's okay. If someone buys it, wonderful, right? But it allows people to understand like this is the highest price point of what I could purchase from this artist. So let's say, for example, that you have originals and you have commissions. You might have one of your commissions that is $25,000, which is for a family portrait commissions with all five members of the family and a huge size, right? And you just offer that as an option. But your bread and butter might be, you know, $1,000, $2,000 portraits, small portraits, all the paintings there. So what that does is it allows you to give you a range of pricing and it allows you to simplify your pricing as well and allows you to justify having a different price for what you're selling by Instagram versus what you have in the gallery. So the important thing is like it has to be different. You can't do the same thing, two different prices through two different avenues. People are going to feel ripped off, rightly so, if, if, if they find out and the gallery is not going to like it. So just find out. It may be that you don't have that uh, that variety yet, but maybe you could think, you know, without compromising your artistic integrity, is there some other thing that you could create or you could offer uh, that is much higher price point and lower price point, et cetera. Does that answer your question? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Great. Um, you would, the word time came up. I'm uh, I'm kind of obsessed with time. Um, and I think it's a very important point because, you know, 99.9% of artists don't get into this to get rich. I mean, it will be, there are better paths for that, right? So they're not in it for the money, right? Let's Let's start with that assumption which is again, a counterintuitive statement because people when go into business, they go into that to make money. At least that is the, the perception, the, the general understanding, I right? People go, I think people go into it for love and then they realize they need some amount of money to keep you know, to, to keep doing the things that they do for love. And, you know, preferably they would make that money doing this thing or else their time to do the thing that they do for love will be really limited. <laughs> 100% agree. So what they want is not money. What they want is time to do more of what they love, right? So money is a way of basically uh, storing other people's time. I I can give money and then this person is going to clean my house, right? Instead of using my time, I'm using their time. So it's a store of time and energy. So if you think about it that way, when you structure the three legs of your art income tripod, you want to ask yourself, what is the the, the optimal way I can do? I, I can I, I can basically get enough money, which is enough condensed time, so that then I have the rest of the time for art making, right? Which is why I get I get the example of oh, if you make a group instead of doing one on one, and if you do it virtual instead of having to go physically to that place, right? And and then you re- re- increase the price because there are limited seats. Suddenly you have a lot more control over your time because you're liberating all, all these other days in the week that you can use for what you want. So when you, th- most artists will probably, I mean, many artists may not get motivated and they feel conflicted emotions about trying to make more money. But if you think about trying to make more time, that may be a lot more palatable. It just so happens that in our society, the currency is money. So just wanted to touch on that point. Hmm. Okay. So it does sound like there's like a lot of reframing that has to happen, you know, that, that just sort of, because time is an asset and we don't necessarily link that into money and money seems sort of icky to us. Right. Right. Well, you're you're training, we're all training our time 
or money, right? When we're when we're doing work that results in a transaction. So you want to find out the reason I mentioned this is because sometimes we get in is like, oh, I just I, I want to make all of my money. I, I want to make um whatever I'm making from uh teaching, I I, I want to make that from art sales only and, and and flip it around, right? If it's 90, 10, I want to make it a 10, 90. And it's like, well, what are you optimizing for? Because the dollar you're going to use to pay that latte is going to be the same, whether it came from an art sale or whether it came from uh, from teaching. So what you want to ask yourself is, how could you get that $1 for the least amount of time and effort so that you can spend more time making art, right? So like we're not thinking about it uh, correctly. And so if there is a way for you to make more money with less time, go do that. It it does help that if it's art related, right? So I, I that's why the whole all three pieces, of, all three legs of this uh, art income tripod are, are related, right? And if you've done teaching, you know sometimes you get sales or commissions from your students as well, and it can be a very nurturing thing if you like it, right? Um, but yeah, the point being is like stop thinking about just the dollar, euro, or pound amount, and think of what is the time that I need so that if I had this at many hours per day and per week. I could continue forever making my most inspired art and then reverse engineer what are the income sources that you need in order to get there. Yeah. It's like what you said before, like at the burning man story, it's like, God, when you're, well, our podcast is called the art grind. When you're really on that grind, like your creativity suffers big time when it's just all a hustle and you're working five jobs and stringing things together. And then a thing that I think about a lot is that the more time you have to dedicate to your art, the more insights your art, the more levels you can reach in a way, you know, the more, so it's like you almost owe it to your art to dedicate a lot of time if you can manage it, because who knows what that'll yield. And it, uh, it all, for me, it always yields bigger and better insights as I go, you know. It makes a lot of sense because it goes through the subconscious, right? And that needs to percolate and and, and you need to ponder and, and then ideas need need time, right? So there is a lot that happens when you're not working, but we're just thinking, thinking about, about the stuff. Um, I'll, you mentioned the, the grind, right? So if you think of the art income tripod, like there might be a period at first where you're setting up your art income tripod and it's going to be a bit of a grind. But that's okay because it's a temporary thing, right? You're, it's like you're building the foundation. Once you have that tripod in place and you have some money coming from each of these three, three parts, then we, we the next framework that I would share is what we call the fine artist flywheel. And so imagine a flywheel with um, three different axes, right? And this is the simplest way that I could give uh, in terms of like the three things that if you just keep doing this should be fine, right? Number one, make right make art <laughs> none of this conversation makes sense if you're not making art right if you stop producing you're not a working artist i mean can you call yourself an artist if you're not making art right i stopped making art i used to make art i, I don't think people should call me an artist because i'm not making art and that's okay right i mean people could call me whatever they want because i do many things but the point being is like if you are an artist and this is your number one priority make sure that there's sacred time to make your most inspired art number one number two meet which is basically as we were talking about with the AI conversation, whatever success you're going to get is going to come because of, because of the people, right? There's other humans out there. As much as we might be introverts or solitary, et cetera, outside the studio, there's other people. So you need to meet and that meet used to be traditionally 
uh, face-to-face, going to openings, et cetera. But nowadays, like social media has changed the game, right? So there's a lot of meaning that you can do through online. So expanding your connections, expanding your surface area of exposure so that statistically you're more likely for opportunities to drop in your plate, right? The fewer people that know you, the fewer people that are in touch with you, they can't even help you if they don't know that you exist, right? So that's the second bucket, which is me. The third bucket is to show, to show your art. And specifically is showing your art in a way that is event-based. And what I mean by that is, you know, there are times where people are in a buying mood and it's usually an, an event. And of course, you have the classic example of a show opening. You have your solo show and there's an opening. That's the, the perfect circumstance in order for you to sell your art. And there are things that you can do before, during, and after the show to maximize the odds of selling out uh, your works. But you can also translate that to online, right? You can release your artwork in a way that feels like an event. Um, I'll give you another framework. We call it the conversion cascade, right? So when you release a new a new work, inst- instead of just, you know, well, you post it on Instagram and like, hey, just just finish this new uh, landscape. Uh, hope you like it. And like the weakest version that you could do of releasing your work, you've been working for the last three months. What is a better way? A better way is you give people an opportunity to own your artwork in a way that makes them feel special. First category of people, who are the most likely people to buy your artwork in the world? Your past collectors, right? Whoever has bought from you is the most likely person to buy again from you. So you reach out to them first. Hey, James, hope uh, your time with your daughters, everything is well. Just wanted to let you know, because you bought a landscape of the mountains uh, three years ago, I'm releasing these new artwork, made me thought of you. I thought you might enjoy it. I'll be sharing it with the 2,000 people in my email list next Monday. So I wanted to give you first dibs. Here's the mm. link. Let me know if you're interested. Mm. How did James feel? Wow. Thank you. Thank you, artist, uh, for reaching out to me. Actually, we still love your painting. He may or may not buy, but what you did there is you nurtured the relationship in a respectful way. You're not being pushy or anything like that. You're being respectful. And here's the kicker. You do that, let's say that you had 15 people that bought your art in the past, right? You do that with 15 and you have uh, three people that raise their hand saying they're potentially interested in buying, right? Then you can reach back to the other 15 and say, hey, there's another three people that are interested and I'm sharing it tomorrow with another 2,000. So let me know if you want it, yes or no, best of luck. You move on to next Monday, you do the same thing with your email list. You say, hey, you're part of my VIP list, my my private list. I wanted to give you first dips to this new work that I'm releasing to my Instagram where 5,000 people are going to see this, right? Or 10,000 people are going to see this. If you're interested, hit reply. I already have uh, two past collectors that are potentially interested. So I I hope if you're interested that that you can, I mean, I'm butchering a little bit of the wording right now, uh, but you know, if you're writing down, you can be more careful. The whole point is that at every state of that conversion can scale, you're making people feel special that they're getting priority access. And then the last thing you do is you put it out in social media, right? Hmm. So you've created an event, you've provided a sense of urgency, which is another ugly word, right? Which is one of the things that makes people make decisions, right? Because if people don't have a reason to make a decision, they're just going to keep postponing. But if they know that next Monday, you're going to share it with 2000 people and I am interested and you've asked me and I said, yes, now I have, you know, I have a bit of pressure to actually say, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and let me buy it. If you actually get it sold, you post it in social media, this got sold to my VIP list before I released it. 
if you want to be first to know next time we release new work, here's the link. And now you have conversion from people from your social media into your email list. That'd be a place, right? So basically, this let's go back to the framework, make, meet, show, right? You are creating an event, an opportunity for people to own your artwork. You're doing it in, in an elegant way that makes people feel respected and, and appreciated. And you can do that online or offline. Let's put a bit of a timeline, right? Making art, probably every day, right? Whether it's a sketch, you should make art every day. This is, this is your core thing. Meeting, how frequently should you do that? Probably at least once a week, right? Like at least post online once a week, reach out to some people for collaborations. Showing, we recommend at least once a quarter, right? Whether it's releasing our work or uh, doing, doing a physical group show or a solo show, right? If you just keep this doing these three things, what's going to happen? You're gonna you're gonna get better at your craft and you're gonna get, accumulate artworks, right? Thing number one, because otherwise we don't have anything to sell. Number two, you're gonna continue accumulating and growing your network, your audience, the people that are your tribe, right? Which means increased surface of opportunity. And number three, you're going to increase the number of collectors, which are the mo most likely people to buy your work. So it is a compounding flywheel where you just keep making more art, meeting more people showing your work, making more art, meeting more people, showing your work. And yeah. that's what you want to get to, right? So this is what is an infinite game, as they call it, right? Because you're, you're there's no finish line, right? You're an artist. Hopefully, you continue making art until you die, if, if you're able to, right? Physically, you don't want to quit. You don't want to retire, right? Like, what would you retire to, right? Like, to die, right? So the point is, this flywheel is about how you continue doing this forever. How are you not forced to quit because you're focusing on the few things that matter and importantly saying no to all the rest because that's one of the one of the issues that we find is that artists because they're creative they do so many things at the same time they burn out and they're like a sun with rays in all directions you want to turn that into a thunder where you're focusing on one thing at a time and that's how you make progress hmm. i have one question about clarification so you were talking about the post that's more of an event that you might email your your collectors first about, but mm. you're also posting uh, consistently. So are are those like I don't know uh, sketches just to sort of keep right. your accounts going? But and you're not emailing co collectors on every post, right? Well, you, you, the work in progress that what some people call the sawdust the sawdust of your, of your creation, right? That's what you share in, 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 in Instagram and social media, et cetera, right? Even you can share that with your list as you're progressing. But the, the end result where people can actually buy, which has a link that allows them to go and buy that, that's what you are providing priority access to. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. It's great. I mean, this is great advice. Like... It'll it should be logical sense. Hopefully, like there's no woo-woo stuff here. Like this, this, this is a practical stuff. Um, and 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 here's the thing. Like here's the thing about business. Like 99% is BS. Like honestly, like there's so much BS out there. There's so much fluff. Uh, there's only a few things that matter. If you've had the the privilege or or the bad luck of working in a corporate setting. <laughs> you realize like, oh my God, like there's so much unnecessary doing happening, right? But when you're on your own and your own artist, entrepreneur, creative endeavor, you can identify what are the few things that matter and just stop doing all the rest, right? And that creates space and it creates simplicity. And uh, yeah, so glad to hear it makes sense. Hmm. Um, 
So talk a little bit about, by now the Professional Artists Institute has been around for several years. Can you kind of talk a little bit about how you created it, kind of how it came to be? Because it's entirely your creation. Well, I don't know if it's entirely my creation. It takes a lot of people to, 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 oh, to build an institute. You know, but I, I, I watched you do it. You came up with a plan. You found the people and now it exists. So talk about that. The origin story, I think this is what they call it, right? Uh, so you're hearing it first here. I was in a one-week workshop with Antonio Lopez, which if you're anything into a realist oh. art, he's like the most respected. Um, oh, yeah, he's the best. Legendary figure. Oh my God. Wow. Oh, we could have just spent the whole episode talking about that. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Sidetrack. Let's, 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 let's go on a tangent. Can, can you, um, what's he like? Does he make eye contact? Uh, when, you know, he is, I, I honestly think he is uh sage and genius, right? Like I had the, the, the privilege of being with a small group of, I, I don't know, we might've been like a dozen artists or so, maybe a few more for a full week. And you know, those images you see of like uh, Jesus preaching and people sitting around him on the floor, like that's what would happen, right? So like there was no instruction. He was just suddenly walk around then stop, start talking, and then everyone will drop their brushes and go sit on the floor and, and listen to the, to the wisdom pouring to, through his mouth, right? And he's a very intense man. He, he is like a definitely a no BS guy and looks you in the eye, right? And then peers through your soul. So like, this is an intense guy. Uh, it's not a sage as in a, you know, I mean, he's a very kind man, has a kind heart, but, but also uh, deep intensity anyway. So that was the context. And um, the last day of, of that um, um, artist residency, if you will, it was in Spain. I uh, sat in the dinner table next to an artist called Lin Guo. Uh, she's of Chinese origin. And we hit it off talking about, something that no one else in that table probably would geek out, which was the business side of art, right? We talked about energy management, time management, networking. Um, she also had had a prior life in, uh, in the business world. And she told me, I've been looking for someone like you. You have to come to Italy and teach a workshop on everything you know about business for artists, right? And I was taken aback and I was like, wow, well, that, that's very generous for you to say. And Sounds like a big challenge, but like, why not? Sure, let's do it, right? It was her that prompted me, that gave that seed idea and that she saw the potential. And they flew, so she was, she founded the International Arts and Culture Group in Florence and Italy, where they they bring a lot of Chinese artists into Italy and they help them with all the, the, the training of, of actually making art, but also going through the exams for going into the art schools, et cetera. Anyways, uh, that first workshop, which was like a two and a half hour workshop, apparently was very well received. Uh, artists loved it. And they commissioned me to create like a full-blown online course about it, right? Which is what's become now the Professional Artist MBA. And I, we released that. Um, and what I realized is like, I don't have all the answers, right? So like I, I spent uh, 10 days recording, you know, long days, pouring everything from my brain, translated that into uh, artist speech, right? So we've talked a little bit about that in this podcast, the importance of reframing all the terminology. So it, it would actually be something that artists would resonate with. Um, and we released it. It was very well received. I was super happy, but I could also see that there was questions that were coming about, oh, gallery representation, this, or, oh, Instagram growth, that, right? It's like, I don't have all the answers. Why don't we go and reach out to the domain experts of this 
around the world. So that's what led to the Fine Artist Summit, uh, which was a turning point. And so I organized an online summit. This is pre-COVID. And uh, basically, you know, that's how I, you and I know each other, Dina, right? I reached out to you and uh, I, I suggested the opposite of what we're doing here, which is basically let's get on, on a Zoom call. And I would love to share your hard-earned wisdom about uh, growing an online audience as an artist. And I did that for all the categories, all the questions that I was getting that I didn't have the answer to. So that blew up. Uh, we had over 30,000 uh, artists around the world registering. Overnight, suddenly I had uh, an audience of people that, um, you know, trusted what, what was going on there. And I literally asked them, like, what are the, the, the pains and frustrations that you have when it comes to the business side of your art, when it comes to your art career? We had over a thousand survey replies and we created a curriculum to address all the common themes and pain points that were coming from that, right? So then the next launch of that professional artist MBA, then it wasn't just me, right? Then we have domain experts. You were part of, were part of, the, part of the crew. And because we, we were very data-driven, I was looking at who were the most uh, liked and trusted and, and voted and popular speakers from the summit, right? And then those are the people that we selected uh, to come uh, as experts, uh, what we call our expert faculty at the Professional Artists Institute, right? So people like uh, Jason Horsch, you know, who's the author of How to Get Into a Gallery, that's the kind of person that you would like to get advice on how to get into a gallery, right? He's a multiple gallery director himself, right? Uh, people like Rosalind Davis, who's a curator in the UK, has created over 100 shows, is the author of What They Didn't Teach You in Art School. She's the kind of person that you would want to get advice on to how to create a group show and make sure that your group show is uh, successful, right? And so on and so forth. So that over time, what I realized is like, I am the bottleneck and how do I get myself out of this? Because what we're creating is uh, a way for educating artists in a way that they can make a living from their art skills. And my time and energy is limited, right? So it was getting away and bringing in the experts. I was doing, people had started asking for coaching so that I was doing full-time uh, coaching. I tapped out uh, after six months, like there was like <laughs> no more time and space. I can't take more people. Let's bring in coaches. I was overwhelmed by the uh, amount of applications. We got hundreds of applications for our business coaches. Honestly, we got people that I did I, I didn't think we we had the right to 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 be working with us. Uh, people that had tens of years of experience working for Sotheby's and doing their trainings, like, and they just resonated with the mission of what we're doing, and they're freaking smart, right? So like, where we're bringing is people that are what we call dual brain. They're left brain and right brain, right? They understand artists but they also understand the pragmatism of efficiency operations, et cetera. So that has become ultimately now what we call the professional artist accelerator, which is every month we take on up to 15 artists that we believe we can help achieve their goals. There are people that have unrealistic goals and we honestly tell them like, we don't know how to do that and we wish you luck, right? But there's other people that have, you know, reasonable expectations and we can see they have work ethic and enough of a background that, yeah, we can take you on board. Let's go. Let's craft your custom roadmap. Let's work over 12 months. Let's create your art income tripod and let's keep you accountable because we know you'd rather be in the studio making art, right? <laughs> so that we can actually execute this roadmap instead of just an online course that, you know, uh, most people, as you know, never finish those. So that's a bit of the story that, that came out uh, to your question. So where do people find these? Uh, how do they register? Sure. So if you go to professionalartist.com forward slash free, that probably is the, the, first, the best first step. We have a 21 days free email-based course where you're going to get an overview of the strategies, mindset, tactics of how we think about the business side of art. 
if after that you that there's nothing for you can buy there. It's like this is like this is just learn, see if it vibes and resonates with how we do things. If after that you want our help implementing that advice and we want to work one-on-one with us, you want you know unlimited one-on-one access, calls, etc., then you would go to professionalers.com forward slash apply. And then you'll book a call. We'll get a, a quick 15-minute call to see if we can help you. Again, nothing for selling that call. You can leave your wallet behind. And if we can't help you, it doesn't seem like a good fit for coaching. We'll still give you some free resources and free trainings that, that are relevant to what your goals are. And if it is a good fit, then we'll look into you know a deeper conversation of what it would look like to work together. And by the way, I'm not a professional Artist Institute graduate, but I teach for you. I also just highly recommend all of Miguel's advice. Other coaches are great too, but but just in general, if Miguel ever tells you to do something, just do it. Don't wait six months or a year. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Dina. And we're, we're very grateful to, to have you. And we have a lot of success stories of artists that have had your help and, and really turned around uh, their Instagram audience. So you're a real asset to the Institute. Um, I get really happy. There, there's that one woman who at some point was like, you know, she said something like, oh, her problem that month was like feeling overwhelmed by something going viral and just having like thousands of responses. And I was like, was that's uh, Barbara Nass, maybe? Barbara yes, 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 it was. Yeah. And I, it was like, debate, you know, it's like, you know, this, this isn't really a problem. Like, <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing, like her, actually, I have it here. Like she went from, Two and a half thousand to twenty-two thousand in less than one month, right? Followers uh, on Instagram, and you know she she doubled her art sales. She sent us a message saying she had her best year ever in terms of art sales by the end of the program with us. So, and you know she's she's very senior. Like I think she's one of the most senior artists that we've had the the privilege of working with, and she was not experienced with Instagram, right? So and she hit the ball out of the park. So um, yeah, you're doing something right. Yes, I think she was like in her 70s, you know, whatever it was, like she wasn't like a 22 year old. And yeah, she like listened and yeah, Marshall, everything you don't do. Sorry. Uh, um, I keep thinking I should I should register for this course. <laughs> yeah, wait, instead of listening to me. Yeah, yeah, you probably should be not gonna listen to me anyways. <laughs> we'll keep you accountable, Marshall. <laughs> I need I need Miguel on my side. <laughs> it's such I mean, honestly, like I, I, I'm not it's not like a pitch or anything, but you've laid out some really great practical information that and I really like your mission to help artists survive and thrive. It's just a really beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I know there is a lot of uh, advice out there, right? And it's fine. Like people have their own ways of of teaching. But um, one of the things that we pride ourselves, like we have our internal values and our number one value is build beauty. So we use that as an internal compass of like, how can we make every piece of the experience from, like we're actually revamping things now, like from our ads through our, our emails, like how can we make it align with, because we're still, we're serving visual artists, right? And in our own humble way, how can we make a beautiful business that is helping uh, enabling artists to bring their light to the world? Um, so what's like a piece of advice? Let's say um, we're recording this podcast reasonably late in the evening, but let's say someone listens to this at like 10 p.m. What's a piece of advice they can implement at like 8 a.m. tomorrow morning? Uh, Great. It's something that they're probably not going to do, but if they do it, they'll be glad they did. And <laughs> look at anyone else who's bought your art in the past and send them a message. And it could be something as simple as, um, Hey, uh, John, and 
I just wanted to drop you a line to, I've been looking back in my career and I want to drop you a line to, of appreciation for being one of the people that have supported my path this far. And just, I hope things are going well and uh, uh, wishing you all the best. Just want to drop you a line, right? So just that simple, just that connection of gratitude, showing gratitude to someone that bought your work, you would be surprised. No pitch, nothing there. I mean, if you want, you can put your link to your website below. Um, you'd be surprised how, A, how, how meaningful it's going to be and B, it might result in sales and people come back and like, oh, I saw your site, have a new thing, actually I'm moving, et cetera. We see that again and again and can result in uh, overnight uh, quick sales. Um, You know, thank you. You're you're right. I think I would, you know, it's probably really good advice that I'm not going to implement at eight tomorrow morning because I'll get like (laughs) self-conscious and feel like I'm trying to pitch something to someone. Uh, But in like six months- Don't pitch anything. Just just show appreciation. It's, It's a gratitude. Like, it's a thank you note of appreciation. If you feel it, if you, if you hit that person, don't send it. Okay. But if you actually can feel appreciation for someone from buying your work. Oh, and- oh my God. I'm so grateful to everyone who has ever bought my work before, because it still feels like, I mean, it's 20 years in, uh, and it still feels like a miracle every single time it happens. So. What you just said is beautiful. And for someone that has bought your work for you to tell them just that, which is your truth, it's going to stir emotions. And you're going to be top of mind and they're much more likely to buy again from you. And very likely, again, like we see that again and again, someone is going to say, actually click on your link and like, I'm moving house. I need a gift for my wife and it was sold in another purchase because who does that, right? Uh, you're moving from a transaction to a relationship. So if you have access to people that have bought your work, some of you, I know work with galleries and unfortunately that is the downside. That's why you want to have your three legs and not all your eggs in one basket. But if you, if you know who they are, um, worst thing that can happen is that you feel good and they feel good. Uh, but very likely it's going to turn into uh, some other purchase. Yeah. Maybe there's a little reframing there too. That's like making connections, making friends, building relationships is so important. And it makes sense that someone who likes your work resonates with your ideas and your, you know, your, your concepts and your craft, they would be friends, you know? So why not just build friends as you go? I I love it. And and this reminds me of when we talked about like make meat and show the meat part um, traditionally is like, Oh, I need to, you know, basically relate with all these people that I don't really like that are gatekeepers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We live in a world where you can find the people that you vibe with, right? So you don't, you, you actually can make friends with the people that buy your work. And we, we get messages from people that thank us from, because now they can see that the transaction can be a sacred thing. Like they are providing a piece of themselves in that artwork, right? And they start to see that process of, making the sale as something that is precious and instead of transactional, right? So yes, a hundred percent think of your audience as your tribe, your people, the people vibe with, and if they don't vibe, it's okay. If they unsubscribe from your list, it's totally okay. They're, they're not, everyone is meant to, right? There's 8 billion people in the world. Most people will not like your art and that's okay, right? They will not resonate with it and that's okay. So we're out there to find who are the people we resonate with so we can actually inspire and, and share those emotions that your artwork is, is going to kindle in them. 
Miguel, thank you so much for, um, yeah, thank you for breaking your no podcast streak. Now, now you now you need to start running your own podcast. <laughs> you know that's the next step. Like, you, you're all in. Um, we can tell you what equipment we should, we should be using, but we don't use. The program that we should have used today that we also didn't use. <laughs> Wonderful. This was a lot of fun. I'm I'm very grateful um, uh, to Dina for 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 you know nudging me and uh, basically inviting me to because you know I appreciate you guys have a, a growing audience and uh, your people are giving their time, which is such a fundamental precious asset. So thank you for listening. If you're still listening to this. And uh, Marsha, we hadn't met before, but I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for your uh, open-mindedness and also the, the the kindness with your questions because you could have been you could have been harsher. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was a pleasure. It was great to meet you, and I really appreciated all the information. It's a it's amazing. You gave this all this free information to people that'll definitely be helpful. So we really appreciate it. Well, if someone is listening to this. My challenge is apply it, right? Because information without being applied, then it's just entertainment, which is fine. Entertainment is fine, right? But but hopefully, if if there are problems that this information could help with, then go ahead and apply. And yeah, if you need help with the application, you, you know where to find us. It's great, Miguel. Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks, Miguel. Um, wonderful. Thank you very much. All the best. Bye for now. Great. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening, and I hope you got some good painting done while we entertained you with our amazing guest. If you like what you're hearing, follow and subscribe to our podcast if you haven't done so yet. And if you're so inclined, rate us whether you love or hate us. We love hearing all the different opinions and appreciate the feedback. You can reach out to us at artgrindpodcast at gmail.com or DM us on IG at artgrindpodcast. You faithful listeners have the power to help us grow. So please spread the word. It's free and you'll feel good about it. So until next time, stay on the grind while we fill your mind.